0: even for someone like me who did very well in school, but I did horrible when it came to standardized testing. So really learning how to structure my material, learning how I learn best helped me.
1: Hello and welcome to the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm on a mission to change the way that we think about anxiety. Oftentimes, it can feel like anxiety can get in the way of our ambitions, and I'm here to tell a different story. In each episode, we'll explore how we can manage our anxiety, heal our nervous system, and conquer our fears so we can shine as our most authentic self, go after our biggest dreams, and achieve our greatest ambitions. You'll hear stories from people who have been there themselves and strategies from experts who can help you thrive. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of Anxious and Ambitious. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am so excited to have you join us today because we have a great conversation planned for you all around a struggle that I know many of us have dealt with in our academic careers, which is testing anxiety right? A lot of the time when you're ambitious and you have these big dreams, you also have tests that can come up along the way and they can cause a lot of anxiety. So today, our goal is to really help break down some of that anxiety so that we can break through, do our best on these examinations and really go after our ambitious dreams. So for today's conversation, I have a very special guest, Shara Ruffin. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Shara before we dive into this conversation. So Shara is an independently licensed clinical social worker and former psychotherapist from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Shara's journey is nothing short of inspiring, and we're going to dive into a little bit of her journey today. But she has a bachelor's degree in social work from Lock Haven University of Pennsylvania, as well as a master's degree from Howard University School of Social Work. And Shara has honed her skills in a variety of different areas, including grief, personality disorders, family trauma, compassion fatigue, military counseling, mindfulness meditation, ADHD, and anxiety. Her knowledge and experience have empowered her to make a significant impact in the lives of others in the work that she's currently doing. And Shara's impact extends far beyond this clinical and academic experience. She's also the five times Amazon bestseller of 90 days of prayer, which is a social work journal that has touched the hearts of many and her second best best-selling social work journal, 90 days of inspiration, which serves as a study companion for social workers who are preparing for their licensing exams. Now, currently, Shara is the founder and CEO of Journey to Licensure, which is a consulting company that combines wellness, clinical supervision, and professional development coaching to support social workers through the challenging licensure exam process. And as if that weren't enough, Shara's passion for supporting others extends into her role where she was actually on linkedin she was recognized as a top 15 linkedin expert in philadelphia in 2023 so her insights into career development and networking are really invaluable so like i said in today's conversation we're going to be diving into this topic of overcoming testing anxiety this subject can resonate with so many of us who strive for greatness but battle that anxiety So Shara is going to share with us some of her experience, some of her expertise, as well as some strategies and practical advice on how to manage that testing anxiety so that we can perform at our best, find that inner peace necessary in order to really chase our dreams fearlessly. So without further ado, let's welcome Shara to the show. Shara, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you so much for introducing me. I forgot how much stuff I've done <laughs> Just keep going. But I, I'm so excited to talk about this topic of anxiety. It's been a, a quite a personal journey for me. And it's one um, that I really hold dear in helping people in general deal with testing anxiety, not just my colleagues. I'm a social worker by training, but just um, starting to dabble into helping uh, many different people with anxiety, especially testing in general. Um, I actually just got my first client who is a psychologist who's working on her school psychology exam, which I never thought I would learning be learning a school psychology exam, but I was told that a lot of the skills I teach my social workers are very much transferable against a lot of different types of board exams and testing in general. So I'm very excited to be here to talk about that journey and hopefully to all that are listening um, can get some insight from it and feel encouraged to keep going despite their anxiety.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm excited to dive into more of your journey and extract some of this expertise that you've gleaned. (laughs) Um, But to start, I want to talk a little bit about your consulting company journey to licensure. Um, So what really led you to diving into this work and helping your colleagues to perform the best they can on exams?
0: I would have to say it was my own journey. Um, I ha- always struggled with anxiety in general, but I was not diagnosed with it until my I was a junior in college. I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And at that time, I was the first in my college to go through schooling. So it was, a lot of that had to do with academic performance. Despite that, I'd still graduate with honors, but it was internal turmoil, just um, being the first person in my family to go to college and having to navigate that. And even when I went to grad school for my master's, and despite having anxiety, I was still able to make it through. Um, But that journey licensure was born from that 10-year, decade-long journey of just going through life of failing two different board exams by near points. Um, It was born from a post that I put up on LinkedIn of sharing that 10-year journey, and I from there, it kind of morphed into what it is today. We've had over 300 social workers pass their boards. We've had a, a client who's death, a client who was homeless, and one another one that was blind pass their boards on the first try. And it, it was interesting because when I share the story of how what it took for me to get there, am, <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I could have just stopped at any point. Um, so I'll back up and just share a little bit what that decade was like. So when I graduated from Howard. After being diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, I took my first board exam, which was the master level licensing exam we have to take once we get our master's in social work. And I missed it by three points. That was 2011. I was completely like devastated, but I I was also in my 20s. I was like, whatever, I don't need this license. I'm going to go ahead and work. And I worked for a little while. And back then, the license wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Literally, you need a license at every degree level uh, at this point uh, to get a job. Back then, it was still like, you can get it if you want to, you don't have to, but it would be nice if you get it to have more opportunities open. And after failing that exam, I gave up on it, worked for a while. I was like, "Oh, maybe I should try again. I keep hearing my colleagues talk about this licensing exam. Some of my former classmates talk about this exam. Let me try again. So the first thing I did, because there wasn't a lot of resources out there as it is now, I had to look at my study guide that i used and rewrote it the whole thing in flashcard form that took me about almost 3 months yeah. to do that um i had because for me i didn't know at the time i had adhd and literally me reading something wasn't going to be helpful so i literally had to rewrite google examples i mean we have chat gpt and ai now but back then it was getting these big flashcards to write the uh, these examples on and then i started studying i studied 8 hours for 3 months um, <laughs> a lot, a lot of studying, right? And I passed my exam, but I did have a lot of testing anxiety. But it was constant uh, reinforcement of information and, and structuring it in a way that I could understand. So years later, <laughs> I took my clinical exam and I missed it by two points. At this point, I am like, I'm not going to curse on. Uh, <laughs> I was pissed off, and the reason why because it took nine years to get towards my LCSW. It usually takes two years. It took me a decade because I, shortly after I had my master' level licensure, I got married. Two years later, I got divorced. I had a stillborn daughter. I had went through a trauma, a, kind of a trauma with my ex-husband. And after that, I became a single mom with a medically compromised son where I had to work three hours away from home um no car couldn't afford a car and i constantly had to figure out well how am i going to take care of this child going through postpartum depression having a c-section um having to figure out how (laughs) how to care for him my son jaden at six months was born with a kidney abnormality that he ended up having surgery for and after that surgery he would constantly be in and out the hospital and me being three hours away from home working if he had to get if he got sick I would have to stop what I was doing and leave my job and go on up two buses and the train to get to him and then be in a hospital all night and then go back to work the next day without much sleep. I did that for about five years. Um it was exhausting. And I suffered a lot of depression and anxiety because of it. I could be Shara a therapist going into my the hospital I worked at, but when four or five o'clock warmed around, I was shara the uh very tired. Um very depressed mom trying to figure out how am I going to care for this child, how I'm going to provide for him, rebuilding my career as a social worker. Um, I was able to kind of compartmentalize that and separate, but it was very hard. I ended up seeing a therapist uh, to get help with just the anxiety and the depression piece of having to be at a high-risk job and take care of my son. Uh, By the time I got to my clinical license and missing it by two points, I was really devastated because I had to go through five different supervisors to sign off on of my hours. Um, and it was a lot of work to get those hours approved. And if you're a social worker, a lot of us know the struggle of having to get approved for, for hours. And I failed. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I've worked almost a decade to get here and I fail it. And it was devastating also because I coached a girlfriend of mine at the same time, she passes. (laughs) Her example with flying colors, I coached her when I was studying and she passes and I miss it by two points. So March 2020 comes around. We all know what happened. The pandemic hit. They give us 90 days to take that exam again. And um, I had quit my hospital job and decided I was going to do a part-time job and study. I lose my part-time job. I'm now broke. I'm now uh, lost about how I'm going to pass the exam. Everything's at a standstill, as we all know, including when I was scheduled to take the exam in March um, and it didn't happen. So I had to wait a whole entire year to take that exam again. I did pass it November 8th, 2020, exactly two, two days in a year <laughs> from the time that I failed it the year before, November 6th, 2019. That story blew up on LinkedIn of sharing all the intricate details of that. Um, And I ended up birthing a group on Clubhouse, a study group where um, I wanted to help my colleagues and tell them the story, what I went through. And I found out very quickly that there was a lot of social workers that suffered from anxiety or were busy parents or just didn't know how to study or were using self-study programs when they needed a more hands-on approach. And people started passing their boards within the first four months of being in that group and i decided to turn it into a coaching program because i wasn't doing therapy so i found that there was a need for a more hands-on approach um, but also someone who had a skill set of not only personally experiencing panic attacks and anxiety during an exam because i did um, have panic attacks when i passed and when i failed <laughs> during the process it's a 4 hour exam and to really hone in on what people needed a more personalized hands-on patient approach uh worked and since then we have been on and going 300 social workers later have passed through that study space as well as the podcast that I have um as well as my individual and group coaching program it's been a whirlwind experience so far and just when i think i'm done someone else has passed their exam and like well that means i'm still supposed to be here so here i am yeah oh my gosh that's that was amazing <laughs>
1: No, thank you for sharing that journey with us. Oh my goodness. I can see how that would have exploded on LinkedIn because it's so captivating. And I think so many of us can resonate and relate with that story in the sense that we might think, you know, a coach around testing would have passed all their exams with flying colors. But something I find so admirable about you is that you had this experience of failing because I think it just gives you that more broad perspective to be able to help people at different stages of that journey. And so I'm curious for other individuals who maybe have had past failures or negative experiences with exams, what would you recommend for them to overcome this fear and anxiety that may have actually gotten exacerbated from past testing experiences and really regain that confidence?
0: That is a burning question that I get a lot. (laughs) Um, I would say Uh, realize that you're not the only one. Finding community is very important, um, which I cultivate for my my social workers a lot, is having a a community of people fail and they all know the experience of failing. Finding people that can relate to the experience does help. And also realizing that failure, it has such a negative sting to it, right? But without failing, you'll never know what it is to succeed. We all make that mistake, you know, we all make those those failure bigger than what it is. And it, it you know, when I talk to my colleagues, they say, sorry, I missed it by seven points, or I missed it by three, I missed it by two. And I say, you know what, if I didn't miss it by two points and if I didn't take it in, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Failure is a part of the process. Yes, it's painful, but acknowledging your feelings about it and, and grief counseling, we call it symbolic grieving, grieving that experience. But also knowing that that failure has burning lessons of teaching you what not to do and what you need to do better. That it's important to grieve it, acknowledge your feelings around it. But once you cannot stay there, because if you stay in that mindset, you'll be stuck and imprisoned by it. Um, That's something I talk about a lot when it comes to failure. It's how you look at it. Yes, it hurts. But if you stay there too long, you'll be stuck in time. That at some point, you have to step out of it and think about, well, I, yes, I failed. What do I need to do next? What type of resource do I need? Am I willing to do what it takes to get to where I need to go? And that's what I usually coach my colleagues through is it's important to nurture your mindset, to have a support system, and to be very careful of social media. Of um, you know, being in spaces where there's a lot of negativity because negativity feeds negativity and it it grows. Um, so I would say to that person, out of all of what I just said, is focus on what you can do with that experience. It's done. You can't change what just happened, but you can change how you respond to it. It's okay to go through the emotions of grief. And failure and being mad and and anger, zip and all of that, go through it because once you're done with it, I'm gonna need you to write it down on a piece of paper and throw it in the trash <laughs> because it's not going to help you move forward. And that's what I usually symbolically have my colleagues do is I usually will have them write down everything, all the nasty, angry, distorted cognitive distorted thoughts, those cat- catastrophizing thoughts and and say, hey, get let's get it out. And then I need you to throw in the trash because it's not going to help us where you're going. Yeah, So a little bit of tough love in there, but it's one I had to give myself because I didn't have that someone to talk to about it. I'm the first one in my family to go through a licensing process. So they knew that I was struggling, but they didn't know the journey. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my colleagues had passed the exam years and years ago. And I still felt like, here I go again, I'm stuck. But if I stated that I'm stuck mindset, instead of thinking about, okay, I'm in a place, I'm in an experience right now. I need to go through it, figure out what I need to do to move forward. Um, but thinking about my journey, I for eight months, I was going through it. I didn't get out of bed. I was, and a lot of people know I was depressed. I was crying. I prayed every single day that God would bring me out of this mindset that I'm stuck. When I wasn't, the experience was preparing me for what I do now.
1: Mm. I love that. And I love that reframe that you give around failure. I think that's so important. So many of us see failure as this just complete failure when really it is a lesson right? And I I haven't even heard people talk about failure in this way that you're explaining it here on having to grieve that failure because you're right. So many of us, we get stuck in those negative emotions and and thoughts around, oh, I'm a failure. How could I have done that? And you know if I try it again, then it's just going to happen again. And we just end up self-berating ourselves, which just keeps Mm -hmm. you stuck. So instead of focusing on that failure, focusing on maybe what you learned from it so that you can gain that momentum to then move forward to another attempt.
0: Uh, Nicole, if I could add to that, Um, uh, I know for me as a coach, I, I, one of the things I love about what I do is I get to hold the space for people and let them go through that, holding the space for them, but still pushing them to say, okay, I know you're feeling this. It's uncomfortable. It sucks, but I'm gonna need you to keep going. We can, you know, it's it's so important to hold space for people. And there's some some tutors or some colleagues I talk to, they don't have the patience for that. But for me. Because I've experienced that being stuck for weeks, months, hours at a time, everyone's tolerance of that is very different. And having patience to know that that is a very personal journey when it comes to failure, just like anything else. And everybody's time with it, reaction to it is going to be very different. And that's why for me, it's such a, a beautiful space for me to watch people go through. I can't do this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this to maybe to, wow, I did it.
1: Wow. Yeah, that is so powerful. And I think something that you really touched on there is how a lot of the times when we think about going to someone for help with studying, with, you know, testing and things like that, at least the experience that I've had with, like, I can picture myself going to those study halls and those big mm. groups to, I think they call it prep 101 is the ones that I would go to. And most of it's all about just like strategy techniques, study mm-hmm. this, right. Practice this. You didn't practice enough. And it's all about doing, doing, doing. But so much of testing and just life in general really is more about being and it comes back to that that mindset And mm-hmm. so for you, what would you say has been most helpful for you and for your clients who you've helped through this to manage that mindset in order to diminish the anxiety that can come up with these exams?
0: So for me, I take a more holistic approach. Um, I think that really separates me from uh, a lot of What's out there is when I talk to someone that's anxious, we really, I get to see in real time uh, when they become hesitant, when they're feeling anxious and asking them, what, what are you feeling? Okay, what's the thought? And sometimes they can, they can acknowledge the feeling, but not they don't know what the thought is. And I'm constantly asking them that because some, we don't realize this is me being a therapist, that thought, feeling, behavior connection. That if we can change the thought, the behavior changes. Even if we have the same feeling, we can react to it differently. So really helping my clients as well as anyone that's listening to this, what are those thoughts that come up that give you a behavior that's unfavorable? So for example, for my clients, when I'm in Zoom with them and we're doing a practice question, they may change their answer even though they knew the right answer. They'd be like, darn, Shara, I knew the answer. That was, And I picked the wrong answer. I was like, why? Why didn't you trust your gut? Because I had a, I felt like I was going to fail. I wasn't going to do well anyway. So I'm just going to pick the wrong answer. And we talked about that and trying to really detach their past trauma of that, because it is a trauma, that past trauma of that experience and looking at, well, what's the trigger point? Let's change that thought. Okay, you had that experience. This is where we are now. Part of that is being present and being mindful. And part of that is practicing. One of my specializations practicing mindfulness meditation, which has definitely helped me with my anxiety. When you're mindful of the thoughts that go through your head constantly day in and day out, you become more cognizant of your reactions, you become more aware of how powerful those thoughts are and you can start to change them. But the first part is being self-aware of them. Whether you decide to change them is another, right? But you can't say if you're aware of them, you know, you got to do something with it. So the first thing I would address when it comes to testing anxiety is becoming self-aware of your thoughts Doing meditation is a very quick way to do that. Now, there's a lot of resources out there. I know for my clients, I have them listen to a, a meditation that um, I've taped for them using my voice to kind of work on breath exercises. These are ones that I trained myself because literally I can tell you when I would be <laughs> in a four-hour exam, I would stop breathing, literally. I'd be looking at a test question so focused on a question that I'm forgetting that my my brain needs oxygen and I'm not breathing. And really grounding myself, that was another technique. That's like a trauma response technique, but grounding really is using your senses in a way that you're able to manage your somatic responses. And I know that's a little clinical, but somatic as in physical sensations of the body, because oftentimes when we react to anxiety, we may sweat, we may have heart palpitations, we are breathing changes. If we're, we become so ingrained in thinking about those somatic reactions, it may exacerbate those symptoms. So I will often get worry stones from my colleagues to help them with sense of touch, a worry stone that has affirmations on it. You, know, you can do this because the more you feed your mind positive affirmations, the better because even if you don't believe it at first, I used to look at prayers and affirmations I like, I don't believe this stuff, but guess what? The more I said it every day... <laughs> The more I read it every day, the more I started to believe it, the more those thoughts change. That mindset is a big, big part of it. Um, healthy habits, regular exercise, um, that helped me a lot. I hate exercise. <laughs> I have an elliptical bike sometimes that's just like a hanger, but I've, exercise is a great way to get your brain moving and also to increase memory. So that's what some of the things I know I'm a little all over the place, but healthy habits, exercising mindfulness meditation, doing breath work, as simple as when you get out of bed before your feet touch the ground, just do a couple of breathing exercises. Maybe just take a couple of breaths. How does that feel in your body? How are you feeling today? Often we're so connected to our technology. We forget that, we forget about ourselves. So simple things, um, structuring your material, starting early. really researching your learning style. A lot of times when I meet my clients, they have no idea how to study, even if they've been in school all of their life. Board exams can be a little different because it weighs all of everything you know about your your expertise or your subject. And that's anxiety inducing. Even for someone like me who did very well in school, but I did horrible when it came to standardized testing. So really learning how to structure my material, learning how I learn best Help me. And I tell this to my school psychologists who I'm coaching, um, my social workers that knowing how you learn is going to help you more than anything. Are you auditory? Are you kinesthetic? Are you a tactile learner? Touch. So that's important. Making sure you have a supportive, stimulating test environment, you know, having Lighting that's good, warm white lighting, like you have in your background, (laughs) that it's good because it helps you to kind of relax. Um, Using, I have an oil diffuser. I would have lavender, uh, chamomile, that I could either breathe in to remind me to just do some deep breathing exercises to ground myself and go right back to what I was doing. So just even the simplest things um, can help with your anxiety. But overall, the mindset because. Anxiety feeds on cognitive distortions. So I know I ran rampant with my... No, that was so good.
1: You gave us so much gold there and, (laughs) and some practical tips and strategies intertwined in that example. So thank you for that. And I love that you take Mm -hmm. this more holistic approach of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, because a lot of the time we only focus on the behavior side of things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I didn't do as well as I wanted to on that test. Okay. Well, what about, how are you feeling about it? What were you thinking about it? Right. There's so much more Mm -hmm. that goes into it. Um, Yeah. And I think it's great that you integrate mindfulness as well, because like you said, you can't perform at your best if you're not even in the present moment.
0: Yes. It, that, that's the call. It's um, I have to say that that was very much key to a lot of the success with my colleagues and a lot of my, my colleagues. And I was like, how are you <laughs> helping these folks? And I just, you know, i I've had, I never thought I can honestly say that I would be doing the work that I do because of the journey that I've been. In. Um, I still have a lot of Uh, I let people know and and that are listening that self sabotaging thoughts of, oh my God, I don't know if I'm good at this. And, you know, I still have those thoughts. And I constantly get reinforcement by listening to the work that I've done um, and watching people's lives change because they've been stuck for so long and watching them um, become the best that they can be in their field. Um, It's important to remember that we all have our own journey. um, And, anxiety is a it's bigger than an exam. <laughs> it's it's you know it's really how you're conditioned to look at a lot of different things that can be triggering depending on the person. For me, um I not only had test anxiety but I have generalized anxiety disorder, which I take medication for. But I also have to remember if I'm not exercising, even taking walks, so they hate my elliptical. <laughs> or if I'm not um eating healthy, drinking enough water, um, or just doing simple things as in connecting with family and friends outside of work. Um, then I'm not, I'm doing a disservice to the people that I serve. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people that take board exams, you're working directly with people. If you're not pouring back into yourself, you can't pour out, you got nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know as long as I remember that when it came to my anxiety, that me learning how to manage it, not only helped me, it helped my family. (laughs) It helped my beyonce. It helped my children. It helped my um the people I engage with that I could give them the best side of myself if I am in a place to do it. And for my anyone that's taking a board exam or just testing in general, think of why you're doing this exam. The opportunities, they'll be there. I put that aside. Think about the why. That why has to anchor you because it's going to get hard especially if you have anxiety or a kind limitation, you're going to question that path. You have to start with just taking it one step at a time. Sometimes it's a page at a time. Sometimes it's just um, having a good cry before you start. It's doing a meditation before you open up that book. You know, it's putting constructive, healthy habits in place that are going to support your mindset. That's going to support your body. Um, so that's why I take a holistic approach because that was my approach. It wasn't all study tools and structure. Yes, I need a structure because I have ADHD, but it was more so that I went through a process, Nicole, that I had to take medication for the first time in my life. Never took it before, ever. I always, you know, I'm a high achieving type A type of personality. I always pushed through everything I ever did. And when I took my LCSW exam, going through all the life changes that I went through, it came to a point where I had to figure out, Char, you got to do something different. Just studying is not going to work. You need to look at what are those underlying parts that are keeping you from being your best self. That was getting diagnosed with ADHD, getting on medication for ADHD. That was getting on medication for generalized anxiety disorder. That was fighting with my stigma of being a African-American woman and an African-American woman provider having to fight with the stigma of taking medication. Why do I need to do this for an exam? I constantly talk to my colleagues and fight with them about, you know, if you took this exam a couple of times, maybe you need to get tested. It's okay to get as much help as you need to get to the other side of it. No one cares as long as you accomplish your goal. And it's something that even with my colleagues who are going to be therapists and providers or psychologists, they need that reminder that they're human too. We have limitations too. And that is okay because we all do. And it's about how you approach them that matters the most.
1: Yeah. And I think something that you really touched on here that hit home for me is that this goes way beyond just the testing scenario, right? If you are experiencing anxiety around testing, it probably goes back outside of this to even just how you see, you know, performance and how Mm -hmm. you sometimes even just how we wake up in the morning, right? So many of us wake up, we go straight onto our phone, get those hits of cortisol. And we, like (laughs) I said before, we don't even have any idea of what our state is until next thing, you know, maybe you're sitting down at the test and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not breathing. And you know, how am I supposed to sit and focus on this? So I like that you've tied it into, you know, creating that mindfulness and awareness, even outside of the testing experience so that you can bring that into the test.
0: Yes, Nicole, I have to hone in on what you just said, because right there um, is another core part of what I do is really wanting people to understand when they're, especially when I'm coaching them is I'm asking them, (laughs) I'm getting a little nosy. How's your day going? If you're a busy parent, you know, how's your work? life balance, because when you're a parent and you're trying to study for an exam, trying to become a student again, that's an issue, right? Um, you know, what's your stress level like? How's your anxiety? How's your, if you have caretaking responsibilities, um, how's your, you know, how's work going? Because if you're stressed out, you can't study. If you are not getting enough sleep, you're not gonna be able to test well. So we talk about all those things, depending on the client that I'm working with. If they have insomnia, then I'm talking to them about, about sleep hygiene. I'm If they have unaddressed cognitive dysfunction, I think is there then I'm talking about, hey, let's get you tested. Let's see if we can get you a combination so you have that extra time. So you have that support. To me, it matters. Um, and then they realize that it does matter, especially they're like, oh, I, I do have this. I had a lady, who didn't even know she had adhd she had tested 12 times before she came to me <laughs> wow. and i was like oh i think we need to look at getting you tested and she got tested and lord and behold she had adhd she also had dyslexia and she's like thank you Shar, for telling me that because i had no idea and after she got treated for it she passed her exam and that was it wow
1: That's so inspiring. And I mean, it just goes to show this importance of, of doing that work to understand what is going on with us, especially if you're somebody who has struggled with exams, like in this example, maybe taking an exam and and failed it multiple times, there might be more going on in the background. Um, I know for me, when I think back to when I was in exams, a huge, huge part of it for me was even just going beyond the thought aspect, because I think a lot of the time when we get into the personal development space we end up mm-hmm. usually starting with like okay affirmations change those thoughts shift your state right i guess shift your state is a little bit more about feeling but more about um sort of consciously just like forcing that change but for mm-hmm. me what i found was a lot of those like physical sensations coming up of like you mentioned like the sweating the the breath um rate increasing I'm um, feeling shaky, just not even being able to focus visually those physical sensations. And so I'm curious, obviously outside of figuring out what's going on with you, generalized anxiety, maybe getting on medication, mm-hmm. but how do you help your clients to move through those physical sensations when they do come up?
0: Well, when they do come up, especially if we're in zoom together, I'll pause everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I had a lady, literally she was, I had to walk her through having her panic attack um that came on suddenly when we were coaching in Zoom. And I had to pause everything and and just really coach her through just getting her control of her breathing. Um and just I would do breath work with her. I would turn on some music in the background. And she I gave her some tools ahead of time. Um it was a stress ball that had lavender on it. And I asked her, I was like, if you can, where's the lavender oil near you? And she would put a little bit of lavender on her stress ball. And I would ask her to, you know, smell it underneath her nose. I was like, okay, now squeeze the stress ball and we're just going to breathe together. And I would grab mine too, because just having someone other than this, having panic disorder is like, okay, that, <laughs> even though she's virtually, you know, I have anxiety disorder, so it's transferable. So it's like, okay, we're going to do this together. And within, we worked together for about 10, 12 minutes and she was able to start calming down and refocusing. So walking her through the sensation she was feeling of her, in her body with each breath. Each time she had a breath, I would ask her, okay, where do you feel it? And she she couldn't really talk, so she would point. And then I would ask her to acknowledge that part of her body, and then we would have to take another breath and focus on another part. It was more so about making sure that she could connect to what her body was feeling until she could calm down. And then I would have her take another breath. We did about 20 of them um, in 12 minutes, and then she was able to be calm enough that she could start to talk and refocus. I didn't want her to talk, just acknowledge and feel, acknowledge and feel. And then she got to a point where she could talk. And then within 15 minutes, we were able to focus back on the questions um, and we were able to talk through the thought process. So uh, being as though I used to work with a lot of patients that were high risk and suicidal, I was used to having those type of cases, um, sometimes in extreme cases in person. So it was pretty easy for me to kind of just stop everything and walk her through it because there's no way that I could go on with training her if she was having an attack. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of give that example, but really just using simple things as your own diaphragmic breathing, your own body as a tool, with even without any tools at all. Simply breathing, your breath is an anchor. And I always look at it as an anchor in a storm. The storm is the anxiety, right? But your breath is that anchor that holds the ship down while you're in the midst of a hurricane, which would be that anxiety. So even if you are wherever you are um, taking some breaths, it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable as hell <laughs> you know, when, when you're anxious and you're going through the motions with it. But the more un, the more you touch into that feeling, the more your brain can acknowledge that it's there. And then you can tell yourself that this is normal. This is, it's just not an abnormal reaction that it's normal to have your, your breath accelerate. It's normal. It's a flight or fight response. Most people, they start to have anxiety, like, oh my God, this is something that's happening to me that it's just not right. It's not normal. It is. It's a normal evolutionary response, but learning how to manage it is another. For some of us, that may mean getting professional help, but for others that just may mean you learning how to manage it in a way that's unique to you. And everyone has different tools to do that. Not everyone is the same.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, it's so individualized. And um, I just feel like so much was coming to my head as you were talking there that I want to ask about. But what I'm really curious about here is because, you know, many of us, we experience these feelings that we've been talking about, And maybe we've done some of this work to do mindfulness, Mm -hmm. to do grounding, but then when, and it's great that you're able to co-regulate with a coach or like a therapist and things like that. But then when you're actually in the moment, right, let's say somebody sits down for the test, Mm -hmm. they've been practicing these things. Maybe they're getting used to getting back into their body, you know, slowing Mm -hmm. down their breathing. Do you have any practice that you recommend for like right at the start of a test?
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, I, I usually start with the prep, uh, the prep is never for the actual day. It's you have to do things leading up to exam day. Um, a lot of people make the mistake of, of starting things on exam day. You should be in a structured routine for you to manage your anxiety way ahead of time. Um, because trying to get your body to do breath work or exercise or anything on test days, your body is not going to connect to it. So I usually tell people, usually if I have trained them up to the point the on exam day, right before they go in, they're visualizing that they can pass because they've been doing that every day the whole time. I usually have them doing a, a visualization board, a journal. They're writing their letters behind their name. Um, I have them usually do a pamper day the day before uh, for themselves, just congratulating themselves for getting to that point mm-hmm. of whether they pass or fail. Um, and acknowledging both scenarios that can happen. You know, when you set yourself up for expectations, it doesn't all, it may not turn out the way you planned. But in the midst of test taking, I usually will give people the pointers of, make sure that uh, the night before you have everything you need to get to the testing center. Make sure you're familiar with the test regulations. Every board usually will have, um, you, you know, your ID, your test center, date and time Um, on test day, making sure that you are not drinking a whole bunch of caffeine. (laughs) Uh, Caffeine, do not take a practice day of the day before. Don't do that or on the day of it. I've had a lot of people tell me they've done that and it's not turned out well for them. Test day really needs to be about you doing a brief overview of Maybe a couple of strategies, testing strategies you might want to have listed on a piece of paper. Very few, just some test strategies that you've been that you want to make sure um, are at the forefront of your mind. But before you go into that test room, give yourself a pat on the back for even getting there. Especially if you fail before, um, because some people, Nicole, won't even go back into that room. <laughs> uh, they'll feel like I'm done. I'm not doing this no more. Um, there's so many people that won't go back in the room, but you, you're going back in there. And during the process, if you feel yourself becoming anxious, close your eyes for a couple of minutes, take a couple of breaths. This is something that I did. Refocus back on the test question. Now, each exam is going to be very different in terms of hours spent there. For the social work exams, they're four hours. For some of us, they're five to six hours. If you have accommodations, our board will give us extra time, an hour or two. And sometimes our own room, I was lucky enough to have my own room in five hours instead of just four because I had an extra hour. And during that time, what I did is I would um, actually, I can talk about it now. It's been two years, but I had aromatherapy beads. They're actually on my uh, Buddha man and back, but aromatherapy beads, you can buy them off of Amazon and I will put a little bit of oil. You're really not supposed to bring anything to test center. And I'll tell you guys, cause I can now, I have no shame. I put them in my bra. <laughs> <laughs> and I will pull them because I was in my own room. I, I will pull them out when I got in the testing um testing center because I have my own rooms. Not everybody can do this, but um, or even putting a little bit of aromatherapy oil on your wrist before you go in. And if you can't get aromatherapy beads to putting it in your bra like I did, put a little bit of a peppermint or a lavender on your wrist before you go in. And during the test time, what you can do is you can just sniff it to kind of ground yourself you're like, okay, I'm going to focus on the sensation and I'm going to refocus on the question at hand because you're, you will get tired. Um, your eyes going to need a break. It's okay to do that four hours or how many hours you have for the exams. You have enough time. So most people are like, I don't have enough time. You do. It's your anxiety telling you, you don't. So it's just making sure that you pace yourself with each question that you use any type of breathwork tool that you can. But I do want to caution people in using this practical techniques. Uh, Nicole, I really want to reiterate that you should not be using them just on test day. You really need to be using them at the beginning of your testing process. It should be in practice because one of the things that I see, um, and I've talked to my colleagues about even the school psychologists I work with, is sh- uh, people will use those techniques And they won't work during test day, because they're so wrapped up in their anxiety, they don't know what to do with it. And they panic. Um, The more exposure you have to using those techniques daily, they will become a routine. And you'll be able to use them on test day with ease, because your body and your brain will already have been in sync with it. So I just didn't want to like tell people, Hey, use all these things on test day and it'll work. It doesn't work that way. Um, with, especially with anxiety, you have to be implementing those skills way ahead of time. So if you're not coaching with anyone, if you want to start exercising at the start of your study process, start exercising, take walks, um, do that leading up to the exam, making sure you're getting enough rest, make sure you do that sleep hygiene routine, leading up to the exam. Your eating habits, making sure you're eating three times a day, make sure you're eating nutritious meals that will give you more brain nutrition, making sure that you implement breaks, Um, take practice exams. That's a big thing that people wait too long to do. Taking practice exams help you in the journey to know what's working, what's not working. You need to know those things early enough and not wait till the day of the exam or on on test day because I've had people do that. So I hope those are some practical tips that give people, but I just wanted to reiterate on test day, it's really all about you staying relaxed, making sure you're prepared, mostly the night before in terms of having at least 24 hours. Don't look at any more material. There's nothing else that's going to change. That's another tip I want to give. A lot of my colleagues will... Say, should I um, I'm gonna ta- I'm going to study all the way up to the day before the test. bad idea. Mm. You should not be doing that. Um, you need to have a cutoff point. There is nothing that's going to change between 24 to 72 hours. Nothing. If you've been consistent in doing what you're supposed to do, then you'll yield that result. But you need that to allow your brain to have time to disconnect.
1: Yeah. No, thank you for driving that point home because I think that's really important. A lot of us, we think about, okay, all right, I'm here for the test day. What do I do? Right. What's the way that I break through this anxiety? But a lot of it is that consistency and developing that routine as you've touched on even before it, right. Maybe Mm -hmm. as soon as you start studying, starting to practice these things, because if you all of a sudden go to, you know, reach for that aromatherapy or reach for a worry stone, and that's (laughs) never calmed you before, it's probably not going to calm you in that moment. It kind of makes me think about like dog training, right? If you were to to try to calm your dog down when it's already having a fit and barking like crazy, you're probably going to have no luck, but if you kind of practice that staying calm, mm-hmm. then you'll have much more better of a chance in the face of those triggers. So I think yeah, it's, it's all, all about
0: conditioning. Yes. A little bit of behavior therapy. <laughs> you brought <laughs> up the dogs and I kept thinking yeah. about classical conditioning and Pavlov, yes. um, but it's really just, you know, just like animals, uh, <laughs> training yourself and training your body to be conditioned. Um, to using those tools is where it's going to be the most effective. Mm. So maybe yeah. that's a little bit of my c- clinical training, but also my personal, I, I felt like I was my own clinician when I couldn't afford to have a therapist for a short amount of time before I tested. Um, I did end up having a therapist a psychiatrist three months um, while going through the process of my clinical exam again. But prior to that, um, it was me conditioning myself, my really my mind. You know, I tell people you can have the best coach, you can have the best study material, but if you are imprisoned by your thoughts, nothing is going to happen. Your mind is the most powerful tool you have.
1: Yeah. That's so key. Like you said, you could have the best study plan, all the notes studied all the hours, but if your mind's not there, then you're not even going to be able to focus or even maybe even show up to the test center. If your anxiety is, is at that level of bad, which I've definitely been there before. Um, so yeah, thank you, Shara, for sharing these, these tips with us and, and to our listeners, I hope that this has been helpful for you in helping you to see how you can start to overcome some of this test anxiety and show up for these more moments of pressure With more of your power and presence. And so Shara, I feel like I have so many other questions I'd like to ask you, but I do (laughs) want to wrap up this conversation here. And so Mm -hmm. do you have any final advice or tips that you'd like to share with our audience, with that audience of anxious and ambitious individuals in mind?
0: I would say, uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, some of us wait, they go through a lot of different experiences before we ask that we all need help in our journey. Um, at some point, none of, you know, you don't become successful alone. There's someone that holds that ladder while you climb it. Someone has to, um, and it's important to make sure you have the right support that you need and trust yourself. You, you know, yourself best anxiety and all, you know, yourself best and you know what you need and don't be afraid to, um, to reach out and, And know that anxiety is just what it is. It starts in the mind. You have to treat your mind just like you treat the rest of your body. We go to get checkups at the doctor. We also need to make sure that we uh, get checkups when it comes to our mindset as well. And whatever capacity that may feel for us is going to be different for everyone. So I just want to say I hope all all the listeners um, have gained some insight from our conversation. And um, I wish them well in their journey um, of dealing, managing their anxiety. Yeah.
1: Thank you for that advice, Shara. And so how can our listeners you know, connect with you and continue this conversation if they're curious to learn more about you, Shara?
0: Yeah. So I'm on every platform you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me guys on TikTok, Instagram, threads, uh, LinkedIn. I have a Facebook page, my personal and business page. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Clubhouse. Um, you Google my name, you'll find me. I have a podcast. Um, as well. So every literally every platform you can find me on, I'm there. (laughs) So (laughs) you can just put my name in guys, Shara Ruffin, you'll be able to find me. Awesome. Well, I'll
1: be sure to link all of Shara's different social media links in the show notes below so that you guys can go and connect with her really easy. Thank you again, Shara, for sharing so much of your experience and advice with us today.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. It's been a pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you've made it to this point, like we said, we really hope that this conversation has been helpful for you if you've found it helpful, please share it with a friend. I know so many of us struggle with this testing anxiety. So share it with somebody who could benefit from this and let's be part of that ripple effect so that we can help more people who are dealing with this anxiety, you know, break through that and and achieve their ambitions, whether it be testing or beyond. So thank you so much for listening
0: and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the anxious and ambitious podcast.